Welcome to the Beargrass Christian Church Podcast. My name is Dee Decker, and I'm the Director of Communications here at Beargrass. This week, we continue our Lenten sermon series, The Lens of Lent, with the story of the woman at the well, found in John 4, 5 through 19. The woman is female, nameless, a Samaritan, and may be despised by her neighbors because of their perceptions of her past. She comes to Jesus in broad daylight and has a remarkable, insightful conversation. Here now is Dr. Lee Bond with the Lens of Lent Insight. Thank you, Rob. And again, good morning. Glad you are here. And uh, we're continuing in the Lens of Lent series. Uh, Today we're thinking about uh, insight and the uh, next sessions will involve hindsight and foresight. So appreciate you keeping up with our 2020 vision theme for the year. And we'll explore this uh, very powerful, intriguing story uh, this morning. How many of you are familiar with the rule of threes? Uh, it's, it's not anything to do with basketball, let me tell you that right off the bat. But uh, most people can survive three minutes without air, three hours in extreme cold, Uh, Three weeks without food, but only three days without water. So one of our gotta-haves as human beings is is to to have plenty of water. And and, uh, we have many options as people on this planet. In our country, uh, plain old tap water is okay for most of us, unless you live in some places in Michigan and other places like that. But but, but America is is the, the largest bottled water consumer in the world. Surprised? No. Uh, in recent years, sales have hit almost 14 billion gallons of bottled water. And there are hundreds of brands from which to choose. If you get online, it'll boggle your mind how many names and options there are. Uh, all these wonderful, healthy sounding names for bottled water. My favorite has always been Avion because backwards, it's naive. <laughs> That's because most of our bottled water is just prettily packaged tap water, and we pay a premium for it, and it makes no sense at all, especially with the plastic poisoning the earth and the microplastics in the bottled water, apparently sticking with us for the rest of our lives, literally. Uh, Anyway, Jesus offers another option for a different kind of water in today's lesson, and this lesson is long. I didn't even have Rob read the whole thing. We were going to wear him out. I wanted to have Save a little energy. This thing goes over 40 verses. So it's lengthy. We opted not to read it all, but I would like to to set the context for the story and and, uh, select a few details within it that I think uh, will offer good insights for us today. Uh, Jesus is going through Samaria, the most direct route from Judea to Galilee. So he's taking a shortcut, but this is not the kind of shortcut most people take. Uh, Jews and Samaritans are estranged. That's a kind word. Uh, Let's say they don't like each other. Now that's not enough yet. Maybe they hate each other. Uh, You know, think uh, Duke, North Carolina. We had a little confrontation last night, I guess. Uh, Another one. You know, that's that's just, it's not good. Uh, But Jesus takes a break at Jacob's well, located at Mount Gerizim, uh, the south of 
side of the uh, Samaritan temple. So this place has a holy uh, historical religious significance. And, and the central teaching of the story focuses on the living water God provides and as a symbol of God's wisdom and vitality and, and provision. But there are other insights here about Jesus' Jesus's universal mission and the heart of worship being rooted in spirit and in truth. Uh, and there's much to discover in, in some simple words and details in the story. So I invite you to, to listen closely and think about some of these things. First, uh, did you pick up what, what time it was? What, what time of the day is it? At noon, 12 noon. Uh, noon in Palestine is similar to noon in August in Texas. Where do you want to be, Susan? Inside in air conditioning. Our kids would not even play outside in the summers in Texas uh, when we lived there. So it's good to be in the shade. It's even better to be in the A.C., inside. But uh, noon is also a time for travelers like Jesus and the disciples to take a, br- a break and stop for a beverage. And so they do. And along comes a woman and she's a Samaritan woman. And most women get up early or work late to bring water when it's cooler. It makes a lot of sense. Why is this one out there in the middle of the day? We speculate uh, that she perhaps wants to avoid people uh, it's possible she doesn't want to be shunned or hear the whispers, the gossip from her neighbors about her questionable resume. It could be that she is an outcast, kind of lost, one of society's least wanted, one who's been thrown out of the community circles in the nearby village, whatever the case Jesus does something he's not supposed to do. He has the audacity to speak to her. He says, give me a drink. Now, he, he could have said, please, right? I mean, that, that, that would have been kind. But, but for, for Jesus, this is ridiculously radical rabbi behavior. I mean, a, a pious Jew of the first century would never speak to a woman outside the immediate family, let alone a woman like this. Huh? You know, we've made a lot of progress in promoting the much-deserved rights and respect for women, but we still have a long, long way to go. Amen. I, you know, I continue to wonder about places on this planet like uh, uh, there's a Greek monastery at Mount Athos. Nothing female, human or animal is allowed in that place, uh, patrolled by armed guards. It's been that way for over a thousand years. The one exception is cats. They allow male and female cats. What a deal. For what? To control the rats and rodents, I suppose, but uh, separate but definitely not equal treatment for women in that place. And many churches still wrestle with the same issue, whether to treat women equally and welcome them as elders and deacons and leaders and preachers and priests. And not to be inclusive in this area, I believe, is, you know, is a loss of 50 percent of our great leadership. So, you know, it's still that way in too many places. And that's the way it is in this story. Uh, no wonder the woman is shocked. <laughs> you know, how, how did Jesus know all this stuff about this woman? You know, he must have checked Facebook, right? They didn't have Facebook, but maybe Facebook checked out her background, her resume. She's not only a woman, she's not only a Samaritan woman, but she's a woman with some baggage from the past. And she's been married several times before she meets Jesus. And she's living with someone uh, to whom she's not married. At that time, there are still laws in the books that would call for punishment for adultery and literally rock her world. But Jesus does not even go near 
there. He, he does not treat her the way so-called righteous folk might treat her. And oh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus can be such an embarrassment at times. In fact, he embarrasses his best friends and disciples. They've gone off to Taco Bell to get some lunch. When they come back, he's talking to this foreigner. Ah! And they keep trying to do damage control for his bizarre behavior and for the radical things he says for the people with whom he interacts. He seems to want to welcome anybody and everybody. What's wrong with this guy? Read a, read a story about a church in Indianapolis. Uh, the message on their outdoor sign said, you aren't too bad to come in and you aren't too good to stay out. <clears throat> Be careful what you put on your church signs, friends. Because a woman drove by and noticed the sign and it, it, it caught her attention. It touched her heart. <clears throat> Turns out she was a well-paid call girl. Uh, but her life was a mess, and she wanted to make a change but did not know how. And so something within her, God stirred up some courage for her to, to visit that place, which was so foreign to her. And she joined the church pretty quickly. And uh, a friend of the pastor's asked, is she going to make it? And he said, oh, she'll make it, but I'm not sure my church will. So <laughs> A friend sent me another strange story about a Minnesota church uh, last week. Uh, they, they have asked their current members, most of whom are over 60 years old, to worship somewhere else for 15 to 18 months. Why? Well, church officials want to relaunch the church with new people. What's the real message there? We want to relaunch the church with... Yeah, I can't imagine that going over too well in Minnesota. I can't imagine that going over too well in Louisville. Unbelievable. Anti-Samaritanism and anti-Semitism and racism and sexism and ageism continue to raise their ugly heads. And we, as God's people, have to offer rebuttals. Let us not underestimate the grace and inclusiveness of God. It saturates the story in John 4 from beginning to end. This, this is no ordinary chat about the weather or March Madness here. Jesus even calls this woman Gune in the Greek. It's a term of endearment. It's the word he uses to, to talk to, to his mom in that story about the wedding in John 2. And, and he treats her that way with great respect. And he listens to her. And, and multiple layers of meaning are woven in their dialogue. He speaks of water and worship, but masterfully moves her from literal understandings to deeper levels of meaning and metaphor. And we celebrate the example in this story. We get excited about that because that's good news. But the disciples miss. They miss it again. Rather than being excited about this conversation, they're upset because he's busting all the rules again. But, but, but the woman gets it, and she begins to see life through a new lens. She recognizes the profitable message of the prophet, and then what does she do? Keep it to herself? No, she runs and tells somebody. She runs back to town and tells the people that don't like her all that much what's happened to her. 
And in fact, the woman is one of the first people to whom Jesus reveals himself as the true Messiah. It's amazing. The impact of Jesus's acceptance of her is enormous. She's gone from one relationship to another, to another, to another, to another. But this one, this one matters. This one has transformed her life. And she quenches her thirst with meaning and purpose from the living well, the living water of God. And, and here's another itty-bitty detail. It may be just a, a throwaway line, but it, it may also be one of the most intriguing parts of the story in verse 28. Verse 28, we're told that she leaves her water jar behind. This jar may have been just an ordinary jar used for the daily drudgery of transporting water day after long, hot day. Too many women in the world are still... Uh, taking on that task, and that's why step, programs like Water Step and other water-related ministries are so transformational because they can redirect energy and time from lugging water to doing things that help the families and communities. Anyway, that jar in this story has been her daily companion. Who knows how long? It's a symbol of her identity. It's a definition of who she is and what she does and what it's, she lets go. She lets it go. Jesus changes her from being one who carries an ordinary vessel to, to become a vessel of the good news. Can we gain insights from this woman? Can we identify with any of her circumstances or her situation? You know, have we tried? Have we tried to satisfy our thirst from lesser streams? Have, have we gone to lesser wells trying to find meaning and purpose? Have we looked for love in all the wrong places? Have we followed detours and distractions only later to discover that they have led us astray? Some of you remember uh, this Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. Calvin asks Hobbes, what, what do you think is the secret of happiness? What would you say? Well, Calvin's answer is, I, I would choose money to become happy, and then I would buy power and fame. <laughs> and Hobbes says, I guess that's one way to think about it. And Calvin adds, oh, yeah, yeah, then, then I could crush people who get in my way. Hmm. You know, for some, that's what it's all about. As you know, billionaires have been in the news a lot lately, Right. Who's your favorite billionaire? I, I don't know. But some of you remember the life of John Rockefeller. He did whatever it took to make as much money as he could. And at the age of 33, he had gained his first million dollars. Not bad. By 43, he controlled the biggest company in the world. By 53, he was the richest person on the planet, a billionaire. And then he became sick. It's a good reminder to all of us <laughs> how vulnerable we are, and we're living it right now. But he became sick and literally began to waste away. He was making a million dollars a week. I could live on that, I, I, I think. Making a million a week, but he looked like a mummy. And he was so hated because of what he had done to get his fortune that he had to have 24-7 bodyguards. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't smile. He couldn't enjoy anything. And doctors predicted he wouldn't live more than a year. And the newspaper, 
Oh, this is this is sad. But the newspaper even gleefully prepared his obituary in advance before he died. You know, like a circling buzzard anticipating his demise. And then, then there was an insight. During a sleepless night, he had this revelation. You can't take it with you. Amen? You can't take it with you. And so he started giving it away to churches, to the poor, to the needy, to outreach efforts. He established a foundation that helped discover life-saving drugs. He began to be able to sleep again and eat and enjoy life. He mended lots of broken fences and relationships. And instead of dying as predicted at age 54, he lived another 44 years. Talk about an insight that transforms one's life. I heard about a woman who was a member of a a book club. I know a lot of you love to read, and there are parts of book clubs, but uh, she really enjoyed this one. The other people in the group were were really bright, intelligent, well-read. They met once a month to talk about the book of the month. They had lively discussions and uh, great relationships with each other. But, But there was one woman in the group who did something a little different. Every time she came to book club, she brought the book of the month, but she also brought uh, a very well-worn Bible along with her. And um, people kind of ignored it for a while, but after, after a while, one of the members got curious and had a conversation after one of the sessions and asked this woman about her habit of bringing her well-worn Bible. And the woman said something rather remarkable. She said, she said, you know, I, I love reading all kinds of books. I love what we do here. But I have found that this is the one book that can really read me. This is the one book that can really read me. And, and friends, maybe that's why this book and these stories are so powerful. We read the stories, but, but the stories also read us. And they give us insights into our, our relationship with God and insights on how to get along with each other. I, I think this, the, these stories, this, this book, this is where we can see, where we can know, where we can trust and believe that we are loved and that we belong to God. As always, we would love to see you around the table at one of our weekend worship services. On Saturday, we have a casual service that meets in the chapel at 5.30 p.m. The Beargrass Praise Team leads us in worship during our Sunday 9 a.m. contemporary service. And in our 11 a.m. traditional service, the Beargrass Choir sings. All of our services include communion that is open to everyone. For more information on all of the activities happening at Beargrass, visit our website, www.beargrass.org. Until next time, peace.